somebody's going to come to you and offer you more money. And if I were you, I would certainly be tempted to go. But here's what you got to ask yourself. If they aren't willing to do what we're doing here, which is invest in your training and never stopping, because you know you go to class with me as well, even when we go away, and you keep moving up this ladder, what makes you think when you arrive there, they're ever going to put any more into your career? And for those couple of words that I would whisper in their ear, I can truthfully tell you that I stopped losing text. Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your host, Nate and Brian, are hanging out with you, and we are looking forward to reinviting one of our guests back on. Mr. Al Levy is going to be joining us today to talk about all things that we should always be doing. But before we introduce him and get into that topic, we're going to break it down for you. And for that, we're going to turn to Brian for a quote. It is better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. That's an old proverb of some kind. I don't know. I love that quote. Yeah. A a Burton proverb. Okay. We can call it that. (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) I do like that quote. It's not, not one of mine, but I don't care. (laughs) Uh, Yes, it, it absolutely is. Of course, because you want to be prepared. Sounds like we're going with another jujitsu episode, right? Ah, we are not. Despite the fact that I'm finally in jujitsu. Yes. And what color is your belt, Brian? That would be a white one. A white belt. Yeah. Really? But is How many under black is it? Oh, all of them. It's all of them <laughs> under black. Yeah. It's the very first belt. You get a white belt by walking in the door the first day. And you actually have to bring your belt with you. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> even better. True. I didn't know that. <laughs> yep. Fantastic. Brian, Brian's bath, or Amelia's bathrobe's been <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, you can order a, a jujitsu gi on Amazon for 100 bucks and like, get it and you're like yeah this thing's i look awesome with this thing i'm about to hurt somebody you know <laughs> get up in the mirror you're like what's up and you get ready to go you're like wait a minute don't i need a belt doesn't come with it <laughs> that's fantastic <sighs> so you know i was four days late i had to wait for that thing to get in uh, nice. fortunately i had ordered them for my kids many times because you know they outgrow loose uh mama dries said ghee and when you dry a ghee it shrinks like purposely oh yeah yeah, they, they make them big so you can dry them and, and shrink them up to your size. So part of preparation would be ordering a ghee that is two Little. times bigger? It doesn't have to be big. Okay. You can order it the perfect size. Don't dry it. And here's the bad part. Wetting it doesn't make it grow, unfortunately. Ah. There's no reverse to that. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah. It's not like one of those uh, little pills that turns into a, a washcloth toy or whatever. No. <laughs> you put in the bath. Don't stuff. even know what you're talking about. <laughs> no. Okay. It's not one of those. Kids. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. So so uh, better to be a warrior in a garden, a gardener in a war. I'm talking about being prepared. Being I'm, prepared as in, um, you know, a, a warrior. Although I got to say, uh, Mr. Tom Hanks, he was a teacher. That guy knew what he was doing. What movie are we talking about? Saving Private Ryan. Oh, yeah, that's true. He he went through some training, buddy. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. 
So he was prepared. Training by fire. <laughs> I don't think they just picked him up from the classroom, threw him in a chopper and, uh, sorry, a helo. And, uh, yeah, as our, uh, as our friend John told us, the Marine One pilot. Yeah. Uh, it's called a helo. Yes. Yeah, not a chopper. Chopper is what uh, the Terminator would call it. Yeah, so for all of you uh, veterans of the Nintendo Entertainment System, Tiger Heli. You ever play that game? Tiger Heli. You were this little helicopter, and you moved like left oh, and right. Oh, just and side you, to side, yeah. up and down. Well, yeah. you could go up and down a little bit, but yeah. mm-hmm. the screen kept moving. Every time you press the button, it fires one shot. Yeah, it was like the upgraded version of Frogger. Mm-hmm. You had to blow stuff up. Yeah, Frogger didn't have a fire button, though. Would have been good if it did. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Anyway, where were we? Yeah, so being a being a uh, warrior in a garden, you're you're well prepared for a fight if it comes. Being a gardener in the war, it's too late. It's too late to learn how to fight. You're in trouble. So what we're talking about today is being prepared, being overprepared, and in the current state of things in this uh, odd time that we find ourselves in, most companies are way understaffed. And that, ooh, it's going to hurt. For any company that's been around a few years, that is a lack of preparedness. Mm. It's a lack of being prepared. You're right, Brian, because the, the whole concept of preparation is that there is a timeline. To be prepared, you can't be working in the moment. You have had to make those decisions a long time ago. And, and in some cases, years ago, right? It really depends on what you're talking about. But you know, just like in your jujitsu, you can't walk in and become a black belt. Even if, even if like you had all the skills and motions, there is a dedicated timeline that you have to follow to prepare to become a black belt. Now, similar in, in trades and in the business, there's many renditions of what that looks like. You know, for those of you who are, who are laying out a, a wiring diagram or piping or those types of things, there's a process that you have to take to prepare for the end solution. You have to order the parts. You have to make sure that they're in, in supply. You have to make sure that they're dropped off of the, at the job site. You have to make sure that you have the proper tools. All that's preparation for the general accomplishment of the job at the end. And that may take you a day or a half day or a week or whatever it is. And, and, you know, you can make adjustments along the way. But when you're talking about long plays, like filling seats in vans, that is something that takes a long-term view of making sure that your preparedness is where it needs to be. And that's why we wanted to have Al on today to talk about what that looks like. Yeah, what that looks like, particularly in the the uh, case of many, many companies in our well, in, in all of the trades right now, which is the bus is gassed up. We're ready to go. Got a big party we're going to. Oh, and the gas costs a little bit more. The gas costs a little bit more, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, bus driver looks in that rearview mirror. What does he see? Whole bunch of empty seats. Mm. Got a lot of empty seats on the bus. Yeah. And that's it's, something that I think that it, everybody in the trades has hopefully – been forced to look at that and what we've been dealing with with the trade gap with you know the last I don't know 10 years of, of people not going into the trades or at least not in the numbers that they used to if you haven't picked up the memo by now that uh, this takes a while to kind of turn the corner on <laughs> wake up a little bit right yeah and you you know it's not easy to it's like you know you see a doomsday prepper right just 
you know, kids can't even play in the basement because it's lined with soup cans <laughs> and boxes of ammo. Although, uh, is that your basement, Brian? That doesn't sound like a horrible <laughs> idea at this point. Uh, and you look at that, you see him on TV or whatever, and you're just like, that's just crazy. That's a little overboard, you know? But if, if it pops off, they're in a good position. And we're not saying uh, that's necessarily going to pop off or, or a necessity. Well, take, take, for example, a van right now. I don't think it's any secret that across the country it's very difficult to get a work van, right? So, like, uh, for example, at our organization right here, uh, the dealer that we work with is telling us to begin planning for 2023 purchases. No, 2024. 2024 purchases. 2024. Which yep. is just bonkers, right? Like, how can you even imagine what your business is going to look like in a year and a half to know what order you should be placing? And, and yet here we are. At our size, it, it, it makes a little more sense for them to say that to us. And, you know, there's a lot of smaller companies listening where you wouldn't imagine thinking about 2024. I mean, we know, kind of, we have an idea of how how many trucks we're going to need and when. Um, but if you think about any any company, is, is the van shortage going to get better or worse? Uh, well, if you know the answer to that question, leave us a comment on don't this you podcast. <laughs> I mean, don't you kind of know the answer to that? What's being done right now to make it better? Yeah. I'm, talk, I'm not talking 10 years from now. I'm right, talking right, right. two right. years from now. What is changing in a way that's going to make it dramatically better soon? Yeah. Nothing. So if you have a line on a couple of, a couple of trucks, might be a good idea to pick them up. If, yeah. you're, if you have a line on some apprentices... You don't want to spend the money to train them. I get it. Nobody does. Might be a good time to fill the passenger seats of your best trucks. I see what you did there, Brian. That's a nice segue. In fact, we're going to be asking Al about the five always be statements that he's going to be talking about today. And I'll be real interested to hear what he has to say. But before we bring Mr. Al in for the the uh, sequel of his first episode. Yes. We want to talk about uh, you our awesome beloved listeners saying I'll leave you a review, right? Nice five-star review. That's, that's a B rated joke right there. (laughs) Al should appreciate it. (laughs) Uh, and on that note, I do want to read a recent review by Mr. Cody 21 Robertson. Nice five-star review. My man, more than a podcast. He says, Every Monday, you can give this podcast a listen and have an additional tool in your mental toolbox. Every week, I'm finding new things I want to implement and improve based on information I'm hearing about in this week's episode. This allows me to continually improve at a pace that wouldn't be possible without it. In quotes, people who are successful decide they're going to be successful. They make that choice. They decide to study hard. Jocko Willink. Ooh, Cody Robertson. <laughs> Six stars for pulling a Jocko quote into it. Yeah, buddy. I like it. You got to pull Jocko onto this podcast. Whew. Like, From next time you run into him, Nate, you get him in a headlock, all right? Listen to me. He was, just in, in he was just in Gettysburg. Yeah, he was just in Gettysburg. We should have stopped right up here. there. Yeah. You get him in a headlock or a triangle or an arm bar, right? Yeah. Yeah, you sure. tell him he's coming on the show. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> before you do, you get someone to hold a phone up. Recording it on video so I can see what happens. I would need a stepladder just to get to his neck. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and an extra arm to wrap around his neck, I'm guessing. (laughs) 
Uh, but we have Mr. Al Levy, and we are going to take this time to invite him into your passenger seat. Al Levy is joining us today as our guest. He is the man who teaches contractors how to run their business with less stress and more success. He uses a seven power contract system and that benefits the customers of that company, the company itself, as well as the staff and the owner. And today he is joining us to discuss even more about that and recruiting and beyond. Welcome to the show, Al. Thank you so much. I appreciate uh, having the opportunity to be back again because Today, my goal is to address the number one problem in your life right now. Yeah, it's is, good to uh, wait, not not yeah. only to have our number one problem addressed, but good to have you back on. You're one of the few guests we've had on a, a second time. So, congrats for yeah. that. Yeah, well, thank you because, like they say, you know, you can fool anybody once, but if you come back the second time, I guess you're an invited guest. <laughs> we just wanted to see if you could fool us the second time. Yeah, just see if we could fool you the second time is because. I don't know any of this stuff. It's not like I ever worked in the field till late in the, you know, at night or that I had to put up with the insufferable employees or that I felt like a hostage to. I had never experienced that. You're the only ones out there, guys, that ever have to go through that. <laughs> well, Al, uh, not everybody probably heard your first episode, so it would probably be good for us to just check in with you and hear a little bit about your backstory again. If you are interested in learning more, uh, you can go back and hear his earlier episode. But for this uh, podcast, why don't you give us kind of the nickel tour on who you are and what you're doing in the industry now? Okay. Well, first of all, I want to admonish all of you for not having spent your entire life re-listening to me speak the first time on this (laughs) show. So shame on you. Uh, But yes, I uh, I was born into the business. My, my friends in the industry, like Ellen Rohr and Dan Hallahan, they, they told me that I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth because I was third generation in a heating business. But we were originally in fuel oil. So I reminded them that my spoon was covered with fuel, fuel oil, my silver spoon. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh, the only time I got to see my dad, really, uh, he was working all day. And even though the company was getting bigger, is you know he'd have to go run calls. We were residential, commercial, uh, and industrial. And so that meant 24-7, 365. We're not kidding. Not like a phone number. And hope that somebody answers it. We ran and did calls. And we were ex- ex- really excited to go run calls with him. Because when we would go to the houses or the businesses, people were really nice to us young kids. They'd actually feed us. My dad was not quite as anxious for that, <laughs> those calls in the <laughs> middle of the night. Cause they had to get up the next morning and do this. And uh, But what it really taught me about is that, you know, it, it's a case of, you really need to train the staff on it. It wasn't that we didn't have staff. We did. We actually had shifts, 7 to 4, 8 to 5, 10 to 7, 2 to 11 p.m. And in the dead of winter, we had 5 p.m. to 2 a.m. I am not talking about on-call. I am talking about manned shifts. And we rotated to, you know, to cover all these things. And we were a good-sized company, 70 people, 25 techs. Um, and so... By the time I was eight, and anybody who's in the family business will sound familiar, you know, I was cleaning toilets, sweeping up floors, <laughs> earning my lunch, you know, and, uh, and riding along and being a helper and learning very, I think I probably knew how to clean fittings before I knew my ABCs. And so, uh, you know, this is the, the life that I kind of came into. And then, of course, um, I arrived with my two older brothers, and we were the third generation in the business. So now expanded to plumbing, 
gas heating, air conditioning, and electric. And um, my middle brother, who's older than me, is there still to this day with my nephew, who is the fourth generation. And to do that, it takes systems. So the first session really was about when we finally, we opened the doors in 1936 out of the grandfather's gas station. So we were around a while. By the time the 90s came along, all I can tell you is we were making a ton of money, but I could feel the process was killing me. I mean, literally, the stress was killing me. And uh, just for perspective, I was 246 pounds, and today I'm 192. So right. to, say that I was, to say that I was eating my stress would be an understatement. Uh, so my goal was never to be a rich, dead guy. So I knew I had to change things. And lucky for me, you know, a lot of great mentors came into my life. And uh, they told me, Al, you've got to read this book. And it's funny, this book has now got a second life. And the book, of course, was Michael Gerber's E-Myth. And that book finally explained to me, because I thought it was a pretty smart guy. <laughs> and, uh, I thought, you know, there's got to be 7 million things out there that I have to do. Or otherwise, I would have figured this out. And what his book basically said, if you're always working in the business, and ever on it, nothing's really going to change. And that alone was what I took a lot away from the book. And I knew right away that I needed to create systems. So being the youngest of three brothers and my dad, I walked into the very small office and I said to them, I said, I woke up today in a cold sweat. And here's why I had a cold sweat. Cause I figured I'm a hostage at my own company here. All these people could pick up and quit tomorrow. Sound familiar with to you guys out there today. And so I walked in and I go, uh, you know, we have either no systems or broken systems and really good people trying to overcome that. And they go, well, what do you want to do? <laughs> In typical New York accent. And I said, I don't know right now, but I'll figure it out. And that's what was the path to create the operating manual, the org chart, and to start making our business repeatable and systematic. That's what you missed in the first session. There we go. Thanks for the summary. And we're bringing you back on today to be discussing something else that is passionate, not only for you, but I believe for everybody in the industry, and that is developing more people and how to get good people in your organization. Well, that is more, more appropriately, as most people are feeling in the trades right now, the lack of ability to find good people. Yes. Yes. And in particularly, let's face it, tech, but it goes for every position. It really does. Company. It's techs, it's installers, yeah. it's, it's, oh, everything. it's everything. Yeah, I mean, I'm no seeing, we're it. seeing paid advertisements on social media right now for apprentices. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's become a competitive environment. Apprentices used to be, you know, dime a dozen, the easiest thing because what I've always shared on the stage and every other way I could was that it's such a wide pool. If you take your hands and spread them as far apart as you can at the top of the funnel, to find young, willing apprentices with no skills that you can take to willing, great techs with great skills is a very wide pool versus trying to find what I used to refer to as lightning in a bottle. And so some people now call it a unicorn. You know, the, the guy who is going to show up all the time, be neat and clean, a very personable, great at sales, great at operation, great at technical, and you wish you could clone them, but you can't. But if you're going to build your business trying to find light, catch lightning in a bottle or find unicorns, good luck to you. Because I tried, and uh, really all we ever did when we did that, and I've shared it before with you, which is all of the growth conversations I would believe looking back 
was me and my, my brother Richie standing as the last two techs in the office at 2 a.m. And we would ask ourselves questions like, Richie would go on about, you know, why don't they do this? And why don't they do that? And why don't they do this? And I just was exhausted. I looked at him and I go, hey, Richie, if they could do all of that, why would they be working for us? You get the whole employee, not the ones you want. I said, there are no clones coming. And this is when, you know, before this was a, even a thing, really, if you think about it. I think there was a sheep or something at the time. And so, you know, but we all wish for a clone because let's face it, it's easy. But I, right, I did the same things that all of you did. We used to go to training and we would pirate your guys because you were too stupid to go to training with them. And so we would steal your guys. And how do you steal them? <clears throat> you have to overpay them. So ultimately what we did is <clears throat> we destroyed our own good pay scale. We brought people in that we didn't really know what they did and didn't know. So then we found all their holes, but way too late. Mm. We didn't have a way to correct that. Yeah, you can't take that hourly back. You can never go back down. Exactly right. So we had to learn a lot of things. One of the things we learned with existing people is the better we do at recruiting and hiring. So there's the five steps of what I now call the signature staffing system, which used to be staffing power when I did one-to-one work. It's the first phase of this program, and it's always been that which is learning how to do the five steps. Always be recruiting, always be hiring, always be orienting, always be training. And here's the one almost all of us miss, always be retaining, which of course is critical today. Hold on, buddy. But it's Hold always on. been that Let's take a time out. What? Let's back that up and go a little bit slower. I caught the okay. first one because you said always be, and my mind instantly goes closing, and you were like <laughs> recruiting. I was like, ah, oh, he got me. He what, got me. What's next? Coffee for closers? <laughs> right, or, put <laughs> that coffee down. All right, so, put that so coffee down. The five steps. One was always be recruiting. Yes. Always be recruiting. Always be hiring. Always be orienting. Always be training. And the last one is always be retaining. And of course, like everything else, there's a system to this. Well, we didn't know that. We had a, well, we, we stumbled into it because the story I always share, which is, you know, we were in New York City Union shop. We worked on Long Island. And, um, you know, sometimes we would get two weeks notice from people that were leaving us, and that was good. Sometimes we'd get a week's notice, and that was still good. And sometimes we'd come to work and we'd find the truck keys on the dashboard and we'd look at each other and go, are they still here? Because <laughs> we didn't know what was going on. And so we were desperate. And so my brother, Marty, who never touched the tools, he was the inside guy, which thank heaven he was because me and Richie really had no patience for it. He nicknamed our hiring process as the mirror test. And because of my accent, I have to spell it out. M-I-R-R-O-R, which meant is if you could fog the mirror, congratulations, you're hired because we were never proactive. We were always reactive. And so we needed a warm body. Sound familiar to my listeners out there? Oh, yeah. That's exactly what we used to do. And it wasn't until we changed the dynamic to be all. And the funny part is, you know, we were really great marketers. We always had way more work than we could humanly do in a day, which is phenomenal because even though it's stressful, if you have way more calls than you can humanly do in a day, well, then you get to set who you work for, what kind of work you do, and for how much. And we did never, never, ever apply that to always be recruiting. 
But once we did, and once we put fuel in the tank, which is, you know, putting money in the budget for this, is we were able to come out and recruit really, really well. But then again, we got a lot of the industry retreads and they were telling us what they would want to do or how they would want to work and what they would do. And, you know, finally in the hiring process, we learned if we, if a good candidate replies within two interviews, within two weeks, if we don't have them hired, there's a problem. And so, you know, we started to fit pieces in there. Like, you know, right now, drug testing and criminal background is pretty standard. But when we were doing it in the early 90s, that was radical. And so the, the background for it was we asked ourselves, would you be okay with somebody who's not background checked and not drug tested to come into your home with your kids if you're not around? And so we've always worked from the customer's perspective. The thing is about always be recruiting. So what we knew, the secret down, downright secret is even if you don't quote unquote need staff, and this of course is a weird time, but this will pass. So yeah, the, there the are two, not, you, you, Go yeah, ahead, no, finish, which is, yeah, sorry about that. Is that you have two knuckleheads, I guarantee at your shop and you put up with them because you know, if you didn't have them, that truck just, the cash register is in your yard. I, how I used to look at it, like a cash register that's still. So you put up with this awful behavior and the behavior is getting worse. So I'm going to transition to something that I hate. And I know, you know, hate's a strong word. How about if I really say, I really, really, really dislike the trend about where people don't work after five o'clock in the contracting trade or they don't take after hours or weekends. Now, let me explain why I say that. Because when I was eight years old and when I went with my dad, he said to me, he goes, these people have 2,000 people they could call. They have entrusted their, their home, their family, their business to us. When they call, we go. And that is the message that we repeated to the New York City Union shop. Now, of course, with Young Willing Apprentices, if they come on board, they get that this is how we work as long as the people they're paired up with, the model techs, are doing it as well in a rotating thing. So here's the question that I ask those of you who are doing it. I know why you're doing it. Because you have to steal help because you're not committed to what I'm going to, what I talked about, always recruiting, always hiring, always orienting, always training and always retaining and having the systems to do that, which are manuals and the training center and the training curriculum and becoming better trainers yourself. So this is why you put up with this behavior, but ask yourself this, would you be okay if your mom, I'm asking both of you, Brian, hey, your mom uses me for plumbing. It's a weekend. She has a three-story colonial. On the third floor, her toilet just blew up and water is cascading down the stairs. Should I just say, no, we don't take the call? Would you be okay with that? I'd be telling her to look for another plumber. Yes, 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 yes. So we believe always that was our unique selling proposition making good at that. There were live people. We answered our own phones 24 seven. Uh, now we, again, we were a bigger shop, but it was always rotating. And even if you're 7 AM to 7 PM and then have on call and you can charge more for it and you should, if that's the case, but at the very least, I believe it's our calling. And I know it sounds like high and mighty, but that's just how I cut my teeth. And I have trained at my own shop 20 years, guys. I never stopped doing the recruiting, hiring, and orienting myself and even some of the training myself and the retaining because I felt it was that critical to the company culture. 
Okay, Al, so the, the recruiting piece makes a lot of sense, especially in the market that we're in. What about the hiring piece? Because that's where things can kind of get sticky. We only have yeah, so many so trucks. We only have so many, you know, quote unquote roles. Uh, and sometimes, you know, depending on what season it is and the, the ebb and flow of business, we only have so many calls to run. It, it is your obligation to, again, have more work than they can humanly do in a, in a day. And the, the reason it's so obviously if you're HVAC, which we were um, before we took on plumbing and electrical, is that, you know, there are shoulder seasons. So we use those shoulder seasons to do the big block training that we could not accomplish. Because when you came to my shop, the big, big, big thing that we sold was you're not coming here for a job. You're coming here for a career. And then I would take out the org chart and explain how you could go up each of these boxes with me right here. I am going to take you up this and build this career for you but you have to grab to hold of the rope and pull with me. And so I take them out to the training center, show them curriculum, show them things of that nature to these young willing apprentices where everybody wants an experience. I mean, when have you not been to a restaurant where they go um, looking for experienced cooks, waiters, and I think to myself, why would I eat in this restaurant? But anyway, it's just a case of, yeah, I know everybody wants experienced help. And it's not that we didn't hire experienced help, but almost every one of the shops that I have worked with today will tell you that they did not have a tech shortage right now, right now. And why is that? Because they bought into that five steps, always recruiting, always hiring, always orienting, always training, always retaining, but taking young willing apprentices with no skills and getting them to become apprentice. The second thing apprentice to junior techs where they could get in a truck, they couldn't do everything we did, but they could do enough that they earned their own truck and get them out on the road, building time on their clock, having skilled supervisors built the right way, which is the next piece. Yeah. And that's something and then, that we want to see here out, you know, and, and across the whole industry is an influx of good young talent coming into the trades. It's been so starved for so long that it, it needs it so badly. And if you're a part of an organization does, that does not have some type of of training regimen or apprenticeship program or school or whatever you want to yeah. call it, developmental system, you know, the farm system like they do in AAA and the pros and all that. Exactly. Missing, exactly. Exactly. Yes, exactly. That was really, I so love that you said that because I was talking to, uh, you know, the, the field supervisors and my brother at the time was we're moving the school along and I go, look at, let, let's just talk, say what it is. If I'm a star set of fielder, and of course I'm a Yankee fan, so if I'm a star set of fielder and Yankee fan, and I'm out there and I look around and I go, you know what? It looks the free agent market. There's nobody coming to replace me. And I look down at the farm system, and there's nobody going to be a replacement. Now you tell me who has the problem: the center fielder or the Yankees? Right. And that's what you guys have. So stop looking at it as like, oh, woe is me. Yeah, no kidding. We built our company bottom up. The pressure was from the apprentices becoming junior techs, junior techs becoming senior techs, senior techs competing, and there's a process to becoming a field supervisor who then went on to service manager or ran a branch because we always exported. We had one main hub and three spokes on Long Island because it really was long and New York City traffic. And so for drive time and for other reasons, we exported our field supervisor to run our shop with our systems because they grew up on it and they had qualified competed and trained. So that's the third piece of this. So first piece is mastering the five steps of staffing power. 
The second one is being able to take a young, willing apprentice and get them to be a great junior tech. And they will be if you have the systems to do it. And that's what I was talking about in this program built on the back of the, uh, the manual. And then once they prove themselves, then you bring them back into junior tech to senior tech. And now they can do pretty much all of what you do. Ultimately, they wait until time there. And when the need comes, typically when you have 8 to 12 trucks rolling every day that do service, you have earned the right to create two field supervisors. Because I want a field supervisor to run four to six people. The problem with it is, though, just because I'm a good service tech doesn't make me a good manager, field supervisor, which is kind of like a big brother, big system. Their only vision of what a manager should be is either they watched horrible bosses and they're a miserable SOB and they're just going to yell at people or they decide they want to be everybody's buddy. And neither one of those scenarios are right. And I would, I didn't know how to be a manager until I went to school to, to learn these skills. So they're, when you are beginning to build, and I like two, because when you create two, and actually my, my general thing is even when I took guys to school, I never went with less than two. My goal was to take five apprentices at a time through school, graduate my school with me, and get three of them in a truck. Because some of them are going to quit. Some of them are going to fire. Some of them are going to find whatever other career that it is or whatever they're going to do. But if I got three out of five, I considered that a massive win. And back in the old days, which is if I could get a truck on the road, that was $250,000 per year. So I just added $750,000 to my company. If I felt like doing it twice a year, there's $1.5 million. Well, of course, today it's even more. And so at the very least, I would go with three guys and try to graduate two. And I still win. I win every time with, these, with this program to be able to get apprentice to junior tech. Here's what I promise you. When you continuously do this, could you, the first techs you graduate will probably be the worst ones you do. And they will still be better than the majority of the guys you have who oversold themselves when they came to work for you, if they were experienced. And they've been hiding desperately so that you don't really know what they do and don't know, what they really do and don't know. But if you build them yourself, as a matter of fact, the great, when I was in the Zoom franchise, I happily sold my share. The, the, the guy that I took, when we first graduated, they had five techs. Now, by the way, this is a nationwide franchise now. The company that was in Philly, he told me, uh, this is Jason when he was with the brother there, that the first class he ever had, he had more confidence in these guys that he had trained than the five quote unquote experienced techs that had been there for years. Mm. How's that? Yeah. Well, it's, it's because there's, there's no more unanswered questions, right? You know what was covered, you know the skill level of how they handled it, and you know what, uh, what wasn't covered. So it's no longer a guessing game, it's curriculum. Yes. So part of the catalyst I think is good to go back is so where did this all come from? Of course, there's multiple moments, but the moment that I like to share is, uh, for those who don't know, I'm in my 60s. At this point, I was in my late 20s, I'm sitting there with my brother and we're going, we all used to go to plenty of these educational events. There's a guy on the stage, <laughs> a guy on the stage saying, the average age of the tech is moving towards 50, 5 Well, to a couple of guys in their 20s, we are horrified <laughs> at that thought. 
object him to be 50 years old because we could already tell the wear and tear on our body, let alone by the time he gets so we got busy building a training center, you know, going to build a training center. We're going to fix this. And I did the training and then sure enough, my brother Richie calls me up, you know, about a year later and goes, Al, didn't you show him motor rotation? And go, I did. And then he would call up later and go, did you show him polarity and the rotation? I go, I did. And then I said to him, they've been out of this class for a while and there's nothing to lean on, which was what caused us to back up and write the operating manuals. So when we finished writing the operating manuals, we went back and looked at our training center guys and we realized we had built it all wrong because the operating manual, the work we did, dictates what should be in our training center. Where could I make them show, where can I make them sell this task to me? Where can I prove that they can do an expert repair and they can leave the job right? And the answer is right here in the training center. So we had to rebuild it, which may sound like a tragedy, but it was not. It was a worthwhile lesson. We also learned the closer you build it to real life, the more it looks like a real call. And there's a lot of tips and tricks in the staffing program that I share, the signature staffing systems, all about the mistakes that I learned. So none of you have to fall in a hole. But if you're going to do this, be aware, it's much better to have manuals that tell you what you need to put in your training center. And then the bridge between the manual and the training center is you becoming a better trainer and then have the training curriculum, which is kind of the bridge between the two. So here's what we learned along the way. I know I laughed because all of this is always funnier now than it was then. But Richie and I finally, you know, go like, we've got to do 80% of the training. And here's why we came up with that is because I said to Richie, I said, have you noticed that there are some trainers out there that we've gone to that really know their subject? cold. I mean, they're experts. The bad news is they're so bad at communication that unless you know how to learn in your sleep, it's going to be worthless because they're boring. (laughs) Then there's people that are like, you know, phenomenal and dazzling and witty and all this other stuff, but heaven forbid you ever ask them a question of substance, they don't have a clue. So we committed to becoming better trainers ourselves. And that 80% of their training would be with us so that we could control it. And that doesn't mean that we didn't send them to outside training. Of course we did. And we didn't send them off to specialized training. Of course we did. But the bulk of the learning was here because what we were seeking with service techs was to make them better at great communication, which of course always led to great sales, to be neat and clean, both themselves, their truck, and the job site operationally, and then do a technically expert repair whatever that is, and leave the job the right way. And for installers, it was great communication, great operation, great technical. That was what we were able to do in this staffing program. And so we ultimately were able to put as many techs on the road as we wanted. If you go to this page that we're going to talk about, you will see there are six video testimonials from clients of mine. And the reason there's only six of them because I only called six of them to ask if they would do it. And they are right now doing the same thing. You need to do what Nate and I and Brian are talking about, which is commit to taking young, willing apprentices with no skills and in-house get them to be great techs with great skills. That's my opinion. 
All right, Al. So we've been talking about recruiting and it obviously makes a lot of sense. I think everybody can jump on board with that and say like, yeah, I mean, the, the market is so starved. Of course, we're recruiting. We're trying to get whoever we can walk in here. I think we, at this And you point, should always be doing that. You should always be doing that because what's going to happen is this will end and you will go back to your own bad habits. It is. And you've, you've been in and around the business for all 60, what, 62 are you? <laughs> Thank you for the compliment. I'm 68. Oh, are you really? Yeah, Thanks. I really am. Yeah. Um, but pretty much but, for but all 68 really of you. I'm in really good health. <laughs> yeah, and you've been around the trades your whole life. I have been, yes. I'm not kidding. I grew so, up, you know, like, like an eight-year-old, but I was already, you know, riding with my dad and sure. the child learning the flashlight. Yeah, it's, but it's you've, in my seen, blood. you've seen this cycle, the cyclical uh, nature of the, of the trades where, you know, one day we have an abundance of, of you know, people beating the door down to get in here yep. because the trades are the new big thing. And then the next thing you know, there's a massive labor shortage. And then, so you, you have a pretty good feeling that we're coming back around at some point and going to be flush again. Yes. And you can already see it because you know, the housing boom is, believe it or not, is already beginning to, to quell. Now I know that it's still crazy for houses, but it's, it's, it's already beginning to modify. That's one of the good things of aging is yes, I have seen this multiple times. There's no question that this is what goes on. I'll um, give uh, so the seeds are there. Yeah, I got to give Nate props here while he's uh, you, you know before I start making fun of him again like I normally do. Yeah, go ahead, Brian, get, get it out of your system. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I'm going to make sure we edit this out anyway. But that's um, all right. It's post editing. You know, when we were in the most flush season, like we, you know, we had people basically beating the door down and climbing the windows to get in here. Yeah. Um, I kind of was backing off of our relationships with the with the trade local trade schools, and I mean Nate was all but standing on my desk to say that you know we need to keep these relationships going, and he tasked our you know at that time we didn't have an HR person or a recruiter, and now we're at a, about 130 people, and we have both. Yeah, but he insisted that we stay on that and and you know stay up on that, and now at this point we can. I mean, if we needed to hire five apprentices right now, we would we would get them instantly, and, and I mean instantly. And if and as I look back at the the people that are filling our trucks right now, I mean we're in the unique place where we can't get trucks fast enough. We have that's, the people. Yeah, we need we need that, more that trucks. is that is a wrinkle. There is no question. There's a wrinkle here about getting trucks. It's a tough time. But to and, your and I'm not to your point it, yeah. with with uh, number one and number two, it is you know props to Nate for, for keeping the ball rolling on that. It, it's, it's, we're in this position 100% because we kept our foot on the gas with number one and number two. Now we've always said that we're, a, we're an organization that if we find a good person, we're going to find a spot, whatever that spot might be. Just, you know, you're going back to apprenticeship until we find you a truck, <laughs> Just whatever, whatever it's got to be, we'll, we'll figure it out. But the, you know, it gets, it gets to where you start looking at the profit margin and you're like, you know, maybe we don't need our three, you know, best plumbers to have an apprentice right now. Maybe we only need one apprentice right now. But then when you, you, you look back on our plumbing division and you see, I don't know what, maybe 40% of it, maybe more, maybe over, probably over half our plumbing team is people who were born and bred, raised here at this organization. Which is the best. Man, if we had ever taken our foot off of the gas on that part of it, we would be hurting for plumbers right now and oh, we yeah. have what do we have four guys in training right now yeah and, and you know 
I'm going to share this point here, sorry for jumping in because I am old and I will forget, is uh, people wanted to pay me, my competitors wanted me to train their guys at my shop. And I explained that I could take all my logos off. They'd never see my truck. But if they train with me, they fall in love with me and they will stay with me forever. And so what you guys are doing and what you have done is why you are not in this situation that we're talking about, which is now people are hostages at their own company. I'm talking about the owners. So good for you. And Nate, before I forget, that's a rare thing when I clap and applaud because, you know, we all, there's a participation ribbon coming your way. So hang on. <laughs> Wrong one. There we go. That's for Nate. Nate never gets one. They ever get one. I'm sorry. So go ahead. <laughs> well, Al, no, you guys, you guys are on the right track. Thanks for that. And it, and Brian, thank you. It is, it is the difference between being prepared for what is coming and just trying to be reactive. I mean, it's proactive versus reactive, right? Proactive. So yes, yeah. you want to have, you want to have the, the extra card up the sleeve. You want to have the extra money in the bank. You want to have the actual, what they call it, you know, personnel capital, right? Ready to go. So that yes. in a moment's notice, either you can flex your business to take opportunity of, of, you know, picking up a satellite operation or buying an opportunity that came your way or picking up extra customer base that you didn't expect to see or the other direction, filling holes that got unexpectedly created where, you know, three guys all in one week turn in their two week uh, notice because, you know, one's moving and one found a manager job that you didn't have. And the other one has family issues and all these things are outside of your control. And all of a sudden you're looking at this and like, oh, wait a minute, you know, I, I thought we were in a good place. If you, yeah. ha if you have been intentional in building that farm system, whether it's with relationships or a schooling system, apprenticeships, uh, apprenticeships, or in just developing those external, um, those external, uh, you know, places where you can find technicians, you can hit the button and quickly fill those slots at a moment's notice. And that's what makes it so critical to be focusing on that. And it's the easiest thing, as Brian said, to let your foot off the gas in the good times, because there's, you know, there's plenty of money and plenty of techs and all this stuff. And it's like, oh yeah, we're good until you're not. And then you're not yeah. you're in a hard way. Yep. Yeah, can I share sure. a quick story? Sure. Absolutely. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So to, to that point, it brought the, I worked with a really great guy in uh, Des Moines. And he, he lets me share the story. He got to, he was a, got to seven techs. Um, and he, we had moved him from new construction into residential service and repair. And each of these trucks were going out making great money. And he was living the life. Now we had already built a training center, had training curriculum, had manuals, the org chart, you name it. That's how he, they were all seven of them homegrown. One guy decides that he doesn't want to live in the big town of Des Moines. He wants to go to a town that's 9,000. One guy doesn't want to do that. He wants to work in a utility or a college facility. And all of a sudden, he's down to four. So he calls me up in a panic and I go, well, I got bad news for you. They're in control and not you. And so you better go to them and pull them in and do the following. And I'm going to help you write the speech. This is my problem. I kept, I took my foot off the pedal. We are always going and growing. I promise you bigger and better careers, and I failed. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take one of the on-call shifts for you, just like you. I'm going to take the shift. And here's what I promise you. I'm going to crank this back up. In two years from today, we will have 20 trucks, 20 techs out there, and you guys will have the better career for sticking this with me. Well, here's the funny part about whether you believe or whatever you believe in. Almost two years to the date, he had 19 texts again, one nine. 
it, that's how much how fast it can fall apart and when you have the systems how fast you can get it back with the intent but never quitting because ultimately you're telling me you can't if you're the best at, there's not a shop you could go an hour or two away and replicate and build a spoke because you should because ultimately they're going to run out of room to rise in your company so that's not really a career path if you're not willing to do that right is there services that you should be taking on which you don't do today Probably. So, yeah, those are the things I want to make sure I wanted to share with you about how easy it is to fall off the wagon and how easy it is to get back when you've got the right things in place. All right, Al. So we've been talking a lot about recruiting. We've been talking a lot about hiring. Let's focus in on that orienting part, right? So that's a term that not everybody may be familiar with yeah. in, in terms of what it means, but basically it's, you know, it's bringing somebody into your organization and getting them up to speed. Now, is that something that you're recommending, obviously for new hires, but what about people who are moving up or moving, you know, around in the organization? Are you also looping them in on always be orienting? Uh, yeah, what if, you can't just say congratulations, you fill the next box without either the orienting training, but it really is primarily focused on the main things about bringing on new people. So let me tell you a little bit the origin of that was, you know, we were desperate, as I mentioned, my brother Marty with the mirror test. So in the old days, we couldn't even spell orienting. We just, you arrived, you recruited, we hired you. And we, by the way, we never, we, we finally learned to actually do a written test and a hands-on test in the training center. That's how much better our training got when we got less desperate, right? But going to the orientation process, we didn't even know what that was about. And so we just threw the keys at you and said, go have a good day. Well, you can imagine how unsuccessful it was. So we finally learned that we had, you know, go through the manuals with them, read them out loud. If we just did that, that alone in the first five to 10 days, they were gonna be better. There is a scripted five to 10 day uh, orientation in my program, which I always taught guys and in this program as well that you do need a scripted program. I will tell you the primary number one, two, and three is to read the manual or the manuals that apply to what you're doing. That's really still the most important thing. And so orientation, though, really came home to me in a funny way in that one of the very first jobs, I was lucky to work for the great uh, Lowry Services in Pennsylvania. I know you guys are in PA, but they were just an electrical at that time. And uh, Joe, who was the service manager at that time, now the GM, uh, as we're going through the staffing program, he goes, you know, I really can't wait for us to do orientation. I go, well, I've got stuff on that, but why are you keep going on and on about orienting? He goes, Al, the way I orient these people in the first two weeks dictates the success they'll have for the rest of the time they're here. And I put down my pen for a minute and I looked at him and I go, are you kidding? Or are you really serious? He goes, Al, think of this. When you were in junior high school or middle school, you were the big man in a small pool. But as soon as you went to high school, you were the little guy in a very big pool. Would it have been nice to have a big brother, big sister, somebody who could help show you the ropes? He said, that's what I'm doing in orienting. And I think that is so spot on. Yeah, I like that illustration as, uh, you know, at the time of recording this podcast, summer and school is kind of, sorry, summer is starting and school is kind of ramping down. And so, I have several children in elementary school and at the last day of school, they do like a step up day where they find out who their teacher is and, you know, they kind of investigate those things. And then, you know, moving from one building to the next building, they do a lot of orientation with uh, learning the layouts of the buildings. And I think that's so critical 
in moving roles, even within an organization, because just because you've been good at what you have been doing doesn't mean you have the skills or preparation ready to move into that other spot, whatever it may be. And so that that's something that I think every organization should keep in mind uh, when they are moving people in the organization, either vertically or horizontally or however it is, to make sure that that's all being addressed and there's a ramp up time to allow that person to fully embody the role. I, that is great. I, I'm that is such a great idea at a level you can't start that process early enough. I think it's great. My orientation was a little easier because I, I again I was the last I was the last of six kids, so I had brothers and sisters who were coaching me up. <laughs> but most most people don't have that, and so for the school to do that, that's just brilliant. Okay, also always be recruiting, always be hiring, always be orienting, and always be training. Now that is a broad yeah. topic indeed. Where should we focus? Let's focus on, um, so you come a young, willing apprentice, no skills, I'm taking you through this process. The training is you're out in the field for 60 to 90 days because anybody can fool anybody for 30 days. But after 30 days, it's my firm belief, you will show me who you are you will be revealed. And what I mean by that is, can you be on time every day? Can you show up every day? Are you clean and sober? Are you not a leaner? And what I mean by a leaner is when you're out on a job, are you leaning on the wall looking at your phone? Are you in here with me, helping me dig a hole or you know, asking me good questions that are on topic? So I would move you around between the warehouse, between the install teams, between the service teams. And so, because there were things I needed them to teach you before we go. Now, in the orientation for apprentices, uh, my five install crews hated when I would give them new apprentices, <laughs> which they were happy to tell me. So I said, well, what do you want me to do with them? They go, if you could show them these 10 things, they'd be better. So one of the big things for us was mixing cement in orientation. And basically, you guys probably know this, which is if you've never mixed cement in your life, it's only going to come out two ways, all water or all sand instead of the consistency of pudding. And so we, I make it, you watch, you do it, I watch. I'll walk away, you do it. That's really the whole idea of it. And this leads into training. So after you have 60 to 90 days, get high marks, you come to class, it's volunteer, you have to sign off on the form. And I have done this everywhere, including most union states everywhere, because they would have to pay to go to a trade school and then come back with no job. Whereas when they go to training, I'm paying them during their job days, they're coming to school to volunteer. They don't have to pay an outside school. Um, they do get a bump in pay as soon as they make junior tech, and they do have the ability to bonus. And so I've, I always tell people to go check with your own HR people, but I can tell you to date that's not been a problem. And so it's typically four to five months. Usually it's after work. Don't ever have it in the middle of work where they're clock in and clock out. It gets very messy with, with HR. Uh, so it's typically, in our case, was Tuesdays and Thursdays, five to seven you, the five of you, are responsible to get here and get back. And then, um, you know, I would also reserve for Saturdays four hours. By the way, don't ever train for more than four hours. It is a classic line for all training, is the mind can only absorb what the butt can withstand. You're just wasting <laughs> your time. Wasting your time and their time. My dad loved what I did. When he started to see the end product of it, he just loved it. He goes, why can't we just put him in a room for two weeks and train him? I go, I would, Dad. If it works that way, it does not. Training has got to be over a period of time and the exposure outside. So it was really a great, great experience looking back. 
I, I, I never wanted to do this, by the way. The, one of the other catalysts was my dad. I was skiff 30, early 30s, and I was working as a tech, and I came and said to my dad, I go, you know, tech, tech's great. Is there more than this? And he goes, I was wondering when you would ask, and to which I said, what? He goes, yeah, here's the deal. Until you figure out how to put people in this truck that aren't named you, you're never getting out of that truck. And that was all he ever told me. So I was highly motivated to get other people to be in my truck and, you know, to learn these skills that I'm, I'm putting here in a very short period of time. But yes, so that we would get them through the training period. And so they go out into the field, they prove six months to a year, especially in HVAC, they really need a year. I need you through a heating and cooling cycle. And so then, then you come back, you have high marks, you sold whatever it is, your sales operation technical good. Your callback ratio is within what I want it to be. You're hitting the KPIs that are for you, and you can do the tasks that you've been done. My next class is just going to be teaching you the tasks that were marked in the manuals as senior tech only tasks. So I don't know that I would take a guy who's never, who just never touched electric and do a complete 200 amp service, go into the mass, you know, down to the whole thing. That, that's a lot. Would I trust them with changing existing GCI, you know, GFCI? Would I, you know, change high hats and stuff? Yeah, of course. So the trick is to give them in your operating manual, what tasks can I train them in here with me that they can sell and do it right and prove it here? And that I would let them go out in the field and do this. And what tasks they should not be doing just coming out of class this way. You got to give them enough that it's worth for them to have a truck, but hopefully not too much to get them in trouble. Does that make sense? Yeah. So Al, one thing I want to ask, because inevitably it will come up, um, technicians in the field who are, you know, running their own truck may feel a sense of um, discomfort or frustration with having an apprentice, specifically, you know, maybe a personality conflict or uh, somebody who, uh, you know, doesn't quite understand the rules of engagement, uh, sitting next to them in a truck and, you know, being with them in the client's home. What what has been your strategy to help technicians overcome that mindset and help them realize like this is part of the process? In fact, they probably themselves have also journeyed through that. And now it's time to kind of give back. But, you know, sometimes you do end up with an apprentice who doesn't know when to when to keep the mouth shut in front of the client or, you know, isn't quite picking up what we're laying down, those types of things. What has been some of your strategies to help technicians through that? So that's part of the orientation. That first five to 10 days is to orient them about what they do and don't do. And they also have an apprentice manual where it's clear that the tech is the, the main person and what they should be saying when they're, somebody addresses them. But the tech is also prepped to understand that um, Al is here with me today. He's working his way up. He's already been trained. So he's going to help me here so we can do a superior job in a quicker period of time and you can get on with your life. And we'll do an expert work and we'll show you when we get done and we're back to the system. And most people just go, oh, great. And as far as they don't have a problem with it when it's done right. And it's, again, like all things, it's coaching and training. And so the one thing that does come up when you mention that is I can do all of the great training I do and you can blow it up on me if I put you with the wrong people. So you need to identify who are the model techs. And preferably it's people who've come up through the, the training with you. And because they want the next box. They don't want to be a senior tech for life. They want to be a field supervisor. And they are demonstrating that when it comes to the next time I'm going to run the qualify, compete, and train, which is senior tech to field supervisor, no one is appointed. You are not appointed. 
It is qualify, compete, and train. There's a whole process to this. So that they want that. They want that. And most of them are also grateful because they got a career. I will tell you, in my shop, unbeknownst to me, with no prodding from me, uh, we made the apprentices buy some tools just to get some buy-in, if you will. And it wasn't a lot of stuff, trust me. If, you know, if they wanted to go to apprentice junior tech, my senior techs would give them their older tools because they had been them. And they wanted to help them have a career. Now, they also wanted to help themselves because what I shared with my senior techs, actually with everyone I could talk to, is new people arriving at this company are not a threat to you. They are not taking your job. They are not taking your calls. They actually became my best recruiters as part of this thing was, if you want good employees, you should go to your own good employees and put them out there everywhere you can to become great recruiters. But I was lucky because the guys told me to my face what, what some people were too scared to, which is I'm not bringing anybody here because if they don't work out, you're going to blame me. And I had to tell them, no, I brought them all together. I go, it's not on you. It's on me because I didn't do a good enough job. And if I, they don't come in, then I can't move you up because I did promise you a career. So they became very active in helping me in the recruiting, hiring, orienting, training process, and even the retaining process at our shop. So that's, that's really it. But you brought up a really good point is you need to identify who are your model techs or who can become your model techs. Because when you put these apprentices with them, no matter how much training you do, they're going to model what these guys do and don't do. Good stuff, Al. Hey, I, we're going to be bringing in for a landing here. And as we wrap <laughs> up that point, I want to focus on your last always be statement. And that is always be retaining. Now, this is something that's so critical in today's day and age when there is such competition for technicians. It's not hard for somebody to pop open Indeed or, you know, ZipRecruiter or whatever, or shoot, just drive down the road and see 16 signs out on the road saying, we're hiring, you know, this better wage and this better thing and, you know, all this stuff. So retainment is such a critical piece. You've spent all the money, all the money doing the recruiting, doing the training, doing the hiring and orienting. All that money has been invested. Why not attempt to keep the investment and actually see the return on it? So let's jump into that. How are we supposed yeah. to begin retaining? Well, I used to make the mistake that they were on the team until they weren't. You know, the famous five o'clock knock. They have to talk to you. Right. <laughs> and after that, you're pretty bad. So what I learned to do was be proactive in that as well. I made it a point. In a stand-up meeting, as I pass people along and I would ask them the following three questions, I try to do it at least once a week or once every two weeks. What's going right? What's going wrong? What do I need to know right now? And if they couldn't look me in the eye and they weren't enthusiastic, this was my chance to step in and get things back on track. And if I didn't really care, it was also a good time to say goodbye. <laughs> that they were heading out. Thank you. Just leave the keys because we'll be good. So that was really a big step for me. And having field supervisors and the rest of that for the people on the team, they had a vested interest in keeping their team together. So I had help lifting, you know, this. It wasn't I wasn't the only one pushing the rock anymore. That really made a big difference in the retaining. But we were very careful about culture and what we would and wouldn't do. I will tell you that it's hard for, you know, comparison, but we went through what we called the dot-com in 2000. Basically, people stopped asking me, and I was doing sales, big-ticket sales, they would interrupt me and go, how soon can you start? They didn't even ask for the price. They just wanted to know. Sound familiar? Because that's what you're doing right now. My guys were being pirated constantly. But I really never lost anybody. And here's why. I firmly believe 
they loved training. They loved and saw that they were always moving up. We were always doing neat and cool stuff that nobody else was. And I also planted in their head as often as I could is, look, somebody's going to come to you and offer you more money. And if I were you, I would certainly be tempted to go. But here's what you got to ask yourself. If they aren't willing to do what we're doing here, which is invest in your training and never stopping, because you know you go to class with me as well, even when we go away, and you keep moving up this ladder, what makes you think when you arrive there, they're ever going to put any more into your career? And for those couple of words that I would whisper in their ear, I can truthfully tell you that I stopped losing techs. And I actually stopped losing guys that I went through the whole Apprentice to Junior Tech class with. I come out of class. I actually said in the first day of Apprentice to Junior Tech classes, I'm going to make you so valuable. When you graduate, somebody's going to want to pay you more money than me. And I would tell them the same story. And if I were you, I'd be tempted. But you're going to have to stop and ask, if they weren't willing to do this training, what makes you think they're going to get you up the next level? And I stopped losing people. And the companies that I've worked with will echo the same thing. So Al, that's, that's fantastic. And I uh, appreciate the insight there on what it is retaining. Go over those three questions one more time again. Uh, you know, what is going right? Yes. What is going right? And let's, hopefully there's something enthusiastic they want to share. Oh, you know, I found a good sales method. I'm really using that better. I've been working harder about keeping my model truck looking the way it should be. And I'm finding I'm more efficient, whatever. What's going wrong? You know, I'm finding it a little bit harder. Or I've got a couple of people that they've been sticking me with or I'm always ending, a, you know, a thousand miles from my home, uh, whatever that is. And then, you know, what do I need to know right now? And, you know, some of them would be honest is, you know, I'm thinking to myself, maybe I should jump ship. I think those three questions there could be important for everybody to be asking. Everybody. I did it with everybody. Well, not just you. I'm saying like everybody down through the organization, like your field supervisors, oh, yeah. your team leaders, your your service oh, managers, yeah. like that should be a multifaceted approach where it's not just relying upon, hey, somebody somewhere at the top of this organization is hopefully doing it. It should be the whole way down because you're going to get much more effective answers, you know, from somebody who's, uh, you know, not the owner, so to speak. Yes. And corporate culture is better, believe it or not, with systems. It doesn't turn people into robots. It frees them up, which is always counterintuitive. So I am a big system fan, obviously. And that's why I put the manual system out there, the operating manuals and org charts. That's why I now put everything I've been talking about today in the staffing program out there, because this will change your customer's life. It will change your company. It will change your staff's life, and it will change your life. And I firmly believe that. So great stuff today, Al. If somebody is interested in learning more about this and, you know, digging in deeper, is this a, a program that you offer that they can apply for or what does that look like? Yeah. So this program is the number seven powercontractor.com forward slash S is in Sam three. So that's the staffing program. But if you just go to my website, seven, number seven powercontractor.com, you can click around. There's a lot of great knowledge there. Yes, it's mine. I know. But it's the blogs I've been writing for <laughs> we, years. We, affirm, and we, we affirm that. <laughs> we definitely thank you. Agree. Appreciate it. Thank you. It's, it was, it's, very, it's always great when you tout yourself, right? And so, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> Nate does it all the really, time. It's nauseating. <laughs> I know. You know, but really, it's, I have fallen in every hole there is. You don't need to find a new hole. I've been in the hole. I crawled my way out. The only credit I give myself is I said, oh, that hurts. Let's not do that again. And I, I figured out a way to do that. 
And that's what it is that I share. I offer a free 30, I want to end here. I offer a free 30 minutes to any contractor. So if you reach out to me on the site, chat me, or if you just email me at al at the number seven powercontractor.com, that that's something you want, I would be happy and honored to do it. Not for you, believe it or not, but to honor my mentors that changed my life. Love it. That's fantastic. Yeah, we had uh, we had some we had a lot of people hit us up from your last episode about the org chart. Was it? It was the org chart. Yes. Yep. Yep. The org chart, which is where everything starts. Yeah, and you you gave that away for free, didn't you? Oh yeah. Yeah. If it, if anyone wants that or more info on Al, um, you feel free to shoot me or Nate a message, and we'll put you through to him. Um, he is. I don't even know if you know this, but but um, when I first hit you up on social media. I heard you on Tommy Mello's podcast. Yes. Like, I, I've taken, I've taken on another life because of my work with uh, Tommy and it all started from our first podcast together. Yeah. That's where, I don't know which one it was, but I heard one episode and I'm like, man, this guy's got a lot of info. We got to get, plus the way Tommy talks about <laughs> him, you know? Um, also, uh, thank you. Our buddy and friend of the show, Gary Singleton is a big fan of yours as well. Thank you. I appreciate yeah, it. He, he said, uh, get, get a real OG on like uh, Greg McAfee or Al Levy. I'm like, yeah, cool. we already had Al Levy on. Glad to know you listen to the show, Levy. Gary. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we let him in the front door and then he showed up again at, at the front door. Who knew? Here he is. <laughs> well, Al, this has been excellent information today. I appreciate all your time and willingness to share it with us. And as we close out the show, I want to ask you a question because of your vast experience in the trades and you've probably already seen more than one cycle of things happening, uh, based upon where we are positioning ourselves in the trades right now, what do you think is the next thing that everybody should be looking out for and on guard? I think the, you know, I always preach about the seven powers, you know, planning, operations, staffing, sales, sales, coaching, marketing, finance. And yes, you should learn seven, but there's really two things. Make more techs, and that means great at sales operation technical and communication operation technical and make more calls, which is the right amount of calls from the right customer at the right time, more than you can humanly do because of the things I was talking about today. Right now, of course, is making more text, but there will come shortly about making more calls in the next year or two is my guess. Do I know? If I did, I'd be at a casino right now. <laughs> I don't know for sure. I think the best, I made my most progress at our company during the downtimes. Just because you're putting it out there, we made our biggest progress during the downtimes. All the bad players fell apart. We acquired more. We stepped up our marketing budget because it kept our power dry during the times and we got a bigger bang for the buck. So if you're any good and you don't make money during the downtimes, well, then shame on you. Mm. Yeah. Well, it has been good to have you on the show today, Al. Thanks again for sharing with us. We appreciate you, and we hope to have, uh, have you back on again sometime in the future. Already looking forward to the three-peat, bud. <laughs> <laughs> three-peat, yeah. Don't yeah. make me like a That's Pistons it. fan in, in, uh, in 89, 90, and, and uh, you know, Jordan runs away with it. <laughs> we need the three-peat. Okay, so we're not, we're not going to bring up the Lakers because I'm not a Lakers fan, but yes, three-peat. <laughs> Otherwise, we have to pay Pat Riley money because he coined it trademarked it <laughs> very good thanks so much Al. Uh, thanks appreciate guys it. i appreciate the opportunity and that's a wrap for this podcast we hope you enjoyed hearing from al again it was good to uh touch base with him and hear what his thoughts are on the current situation that the trades is in 
as well as a big focus on developing people in your organization. Whether you're a technician in a truck or a manager or owner sitting at a desk listening to this podcast, we hope that you found it enjoyable and that you can always bring something or some things out of the podcast and put them into actual implementation in your business. One of the things we want to be challenging to do is to be making yourself better and growing the organization, growing yourself within the organization, because we believe firmly that good organizations are founded upon good people. And if we can all get better, the entire industry rises together. And so we hope this podcast is a small part in making that happen. And as we always do, we want to challenge you personally to make sure that you are choosing to wake up each and every morning and wasting no day.